This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to the program. Uh, coming up in about 25 minutes' time, Scott Lachlan, um, host of the Morning Skate on Sirius XM, NHL Network Radio. Uh, a lot to get to with him, including should probably park some time and talk about uh, the passing of Jean-Guy Talbots, uh, legendary Montreal Canadiens defender, number of Stanley Cups, all-star appearances, never in the Hall of Fame. Uh, we'll talk about uh, Jean-Guy Talbot coming up here in hour two, amongst other issues around the NHL and Sean Couturier, uh, captain of the surprising Philadelphia Flyers, stops by to uh, to finish up the program today. Uh, in the meantime, what was that? What was that we saw from the defending Stanley Cup champions last night? Um, the Toronto Maple Leafs, who are on a five-game winning streak, march into Vegas. Morgan Riley's back in the mix, and this thing was over Early, Jesse Granger joins me now from The Athletic for comments on this and all other issues, Vegas. How are you, Jesse? Thanks so much for doing this, pal. I'm great. Thanks for having me on. Uh, the pleasure is mine. Um, what did you make of last night? Like, you, you take away that game. If you're a Toronto Maple Leafs fan, you say to yourself, you know, wow, look at this team. This is so legit. Brad Living, get to work, load up at the deadline. This is a Stanley Cup contender. They just beat the Stanley Cup champions after all. But Jesse Granger, who's watched a lot of the Vegas Golden Knights and been around the team and knows what makes it work, what do you take away from last night? Yeah, I think, I mean, Vegas is obviously hamstrung by injuries right now, but they just that was not a good game for them, obviously, the way it started, and it just snowballed from there. I think Toronto is a high-powered... They're, they're a kind of team where if you're not on your A game, you can get embarrassed real quickly uh, just because they've got the scores. And, and I mean, it was 6-1, and, and sure. Matthews, Marner, and Nylander didn't have a goal at that point. Um, so that just shows you it wasn't the stars that were putting it on them. It was, it was the depth guys. And yeah. to me, the, the injuries, like, obviously, just the individual missing Mark Stone, Jack Eichel, that hurts. But to me, what it really hurts is the Golden Knights' identity and what they did to win the Cup last year was Bruce Cassidy spread the wealth amongst all four lines, and they would come at you in waves, and they'd, he'd have Jack Eichel on one line with Marsha so, and then on the second line, you've got yep. Stevenson and Stone, and then on the third line, you've got Carlson and Riley Smith, and then on the fourth line, they've got some bangers down there, so it's like you never got a break. And now with these injuries, Cassidy has had to restructure these lines. He's top-loaded them, like you see with, I guess, most teams, and it's led to... I mean, last night their bottom, their fourth line was three NHLers that, that have almost no NHL experience. So um, that was exposed. And I think that Vegas, they haven't won the games they've won over the last few years with their top-end talent. They've won it with depth. And right now mm-hmm. with that top-end talent out, the depth is really, really hurting. And, and you saw it last night. Toronto really took advantage of it. And that's to take nothing away from the Maple Leafs. I thought they looked excellent in that game. But uh, Vegas is clearly not at top mm-hmm. of this game right now, missing some big guys. No, and you know, listen, like uh, all the the conspiracy theorists are out there about, oh, look at this time of year, and now Mark Stone is injured, and you know, surprise, surprise, you're going to have all this flexibility now to add, and then come playoff time, all of a sudden, everybody goes to Lourdes and bathes in holy water and gets healed up, and here they are healthy for a Stanley Cup run. But, I mean, like, that's not the case with Mark Stone. Like, this is a very legitimate injury uh, from a player who, as we know, has had a hard time with the hospital bracelet, had a hard time staying healthy. So it should kind of come, Jesse, as no surprise that Mark Stone, given how he plays, and by the way, who he ran into. Like, if people don't know how thick and how solid Yakov Trenin is. Like, that is a large man that collided with Mark Stone. Like, I'm always weird about 
talking about injuries and, you know, wondering if injuries are legit or not. But I have about zero doubt that this is maybe the most legit injury in the NHL to Mark Stone. Yeah, it's yeah, and it's a serious injury, and and it's it's one of those cases where the worst hits are the ones you aren't ready for, right? Like if if Stone had seen him yeah. come in and, and braced for it, maybe it wouldn't have been quite as bad. But it was one of those cases where they were both they both just skated into the same ice away from the puck, and it was a big hit, and he fell awkwardly. And this is a guy like you said that's been hurt a lot. Um, the good news is it wasn't his back, which is what would, the biggest fear in Vegas yeah. um, for for Golden Knights fans. It wasn't his back, but it, it is a serious injury, and. It does, like you said, it's 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 awful luck because you lose your captain and one of your best players, but the timing of it could not be better, and I'm sure fans that are listening to your show and fans around <laughs> North America are 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 oh, very yeah. quick to point out how well the timing is. I, I will admit the timing is impeccable. Um but if 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 you told the Golden Knights would you trade it to have Mark Stone healthy, I think they would rather have him healthy. I mean, this team has a losing record since January first. They have lost four of their last five. They're the Kings are quickly making up ground on them for third for for that third place in the Pacific. They're 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 looking at a wild card spot if they don't win some games on this long five game road trip they've got coming up. So, I think the Golden Knights would rather have a healthy Mark Stone. But if you're not going to have a healthy Mark Stone, yeah. This timing is pretty good because it does it does look like it's going to line up to give them the, the ability to add at the deadline, which they probably weren't going to be able to add much. I think they were still going to add, but I don't think they were going to be able to add much without offloading some salary um, right. prior to this happening. You know, one of the um, I am I think we're all curious what Kelly McCrimmon does here, and we know that this is a team that scouts very well, and when they find someone. Uh, that they like, they flood the zone. I mean, I think McCrimmon told Elliot and I in, in Seattle that it was like 56 or 57 different viewings of Barbashev before they pulled the trigger uh, on on the trade that brought him in from the St. Louis Blues and helped put the Vegas Golden Knights over the top and, and win the Stanley Cup. Um, we know that Vegas is going to do something. I still wonder about the left side, uh, like the left wing, not left side D, but the, the left wing specifically. Um, if you're Kelly McCrimmon, Jesse, what are you looking at for this team? How do you add yeah i definitely think it's going to be a winger um i'd be surprised if it's anything but that um they they, they've had some injuries on defense but uh these last two games they've had all six of them healthy um for the first time all year basically so and and that defense is as good as it gets um that's probably the biggest reason they won the cup last year so i don't see and they have good depth defensemen even if somebody goes down again they've got good depth defensemen so i don't see that as an option uh, down the middle, Eichel should be back relatively soon. We don't have a timeline yet. He hasn't started skating with the team, but he is skating on his own, and I expect to see Eichel eventually here. And once he comes back, they've got those four strong centermen up the middle, which is another big part of this team. So to me, the only piece that you could really look at adding is on the wing. And Obviously, Jake Gensel is the big fish that everyone's talking about, and if they've got the cap space, if Mark Stone's not going to play the rest of the regular season, then I could definitely see them adding him. I mean, he's a goal scorer, which is what they need. He's, he's elevated yeah. in the playoffs, 58 points in 58 playoff games. I think Gensel would be a perfect fit for this team. If But there's going to be a bunch of teams trying to get him. So, I, I, it, I mean, Tarasenko is an option. If they want to go a little more of a grinder defensive guy, like I could see Granlin, I could see Vetrano. There there are a lot of options. When like I look at Chris Johnson's trade board on the athletic and it's it's filled with wingers. There there aren't many centers on there. There are a few good defensemen, but to me if there's yeah. a position of with with quite a few of them out there, it's it's on the wing. So I think the Golden Knights are in a good spot in terms of having options. 
Should I throw Riley Smith's name into that mix? I, I think you should. Um, I think he he obviously. I mean, if whenever you make a trade, you don't know how that guy's going to fit, and you're you're trying to decide. Okay, what what is the value? What what are we willing to give up? And obviously, the Golden Knights are going to be giving up prospects and picks in any trade that they make. Riley Smith's the only one that they they absolutely. It's a certainty. You know exactly what you're getting. They could put him in the lineup an hour before the game. He could fly in from Pittsburgh and put him in the lineup an hour before the game, and he's going to fit in perfectly. Yep. And it's going to be like he never left. He's played so many minutes with Carlson and Marsh, so so. That is a very safe option. I don't know. I mean, the the, the problem is you, Pittsburgh wouldn't be allowed to retain salary on him um, just because mm-hmm. NHL rules. You're not allowed to trade a guy to a team and then have him trade back with salary. I believe they could retain if they if they in, included a third team. It gets complicated there. So there are some, some complications yeah. just because they did just trade him less than the calendar year away. So I think that that might add to the complications with that. But I, in terms of on the ice, I think – Smith's a perfect fit. He he's a middle six winger who already has experience with everyone yeah. on here. He gives them pretty much everything they're looking for. So if if Pittsburgh hasn't been happy with what they've gotten from Riley Smith, which seems to be the case to this point, he hasn't fit in quite as well as they'd hoped. Um, I think Vegas would definitely be interested in him. Chandler Stevenson. Jesse, I want to ask you about Chandler Stevenson. This is a big year for Chandler Stevenson. This is a big year for Jonathan Marcheseau, uh, for example, as well. Um, expiring contracts and how would you evaluate what we've seen so far from Chandler Stevenson? I.e., is he having the season he needs to have to ring the bell here with the Vegas Golden Knights? No, I don't. I mean, it's it's kind of weird how his game has fallen off this year. He just does not look confident. He is really uh, hesitant to shoot. He's he's been get he's been getting the puck in really dangerous places on the ice and just he, he's constantly looking for that that one better pass to to get a tap in on the back door rather than just shooting at the net and Cassidy has told us multiple times this year that they're trying to get Stevenson to shoot the puck more um, they've even moved him to the wing a few games just trying to hope that maybe maybe a little less defensive responsibility will allow him to be more aggressive offensively and that hasn't worked he still skates like the wind he's a phenomenal skater he opens up a lot of ice in the middle of the in the neutral zone for breakouts and stuff, just because he pushes defensemen back with that. But he hasn't been the same guy that he's been the last few years in Vegas. And that's obviously concerning for him um, in a contract year. But I'm curious if this down year is going to change the way people around the league view him because he's been so good the last few years. I mean, he's been a top line center for a very good team and he's been producing that way for a couple of years now. So I'm curious um, if this if this slump he's been in will will impact him this summer, and obviously how he finishes the year and, and how he does in the playoffs is going to have a huge impact on that. He has not been good enough to this point. That's very clear. Yeah. But having said that, I think I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that he turns it around and looks like the Chandler Stevenson we're used to um, and plays really well. So he, he he definitely needs to do that, and, and Vegas needs him to do it, especially right now with big guys out. Yeah, I, I just wonder, you know, about that next contract with Stevenson. I, I know this hasn't been the best of all possible seasons, but you look at the body of work that he's kind of laid before everybody in Vegas, and I know it's more of a prospector's league than a reward for, for past performance kind of league. I, I understand that, but I just ha- can't help but think, I mean, that was one of the, you know, that's a signature move. Like the Chandler-Stevenson move, like there's a lot of them uh, with Vegas, but the Chandler-Stevenson move was a, was a really great stroke of business. And I just wonder if... You know, okay, it's a soft season this year. 
year from Stevenson, but we've seen better before, and that sort of nudges him a little. Like, am I being too optimistic? Think essentially, Jesse, am I being too optimistic and maybe like, you know, hockey hopelessly romantic saying, you know what, this is a reward for what Stevenson has already done for us? Yeah, I, no, I don't think you are at all. And I think that I agree with you. The move to get him from Washington, they paid basically nothing. It, at the time, it seemed like yes. Washington was going to waive him. And, and Vegas has done that really well. Like They've obviously made the big trades that were obvious for Stone and Eichel. Like Everyone knew Stone and Eichel were good. But they've, they have done a really good job of trading for players that they see a little more potential in. Chandler Stevenson's a great example. William Carlson in the expansion draft. Brett Howden. Uh, uh, Michael Amadio off waivers has been phenomenal for him for the last couple of years. Those types of moves have worked out really well. And I think maybe even better than the trade for Stevenson was the extension. They signed Stevenson to that extension before he proved that he was a legitimate top six center. I mean, he's, his cap hits 2.75 million, which is unbelievable for like, that's one of the best values in the league. So they're obviously not going to have that value moving forward. He's going to get a raise from that. It's just a question of how much. Um, And I, he's been a great fit here. As, As bad as this season has been, it's, not been his best he is a good fit here and he fits really well with mark stone and with mark stone signed for the foreseeable future here i don't think it's out of the realm of possibility Mm -hmm. that vegas says you know what this wasn't a good year but we want to keep him paired with mark stone through 2027 and and they they sign him to a long-term deal at some point but like i said i think the way he finishes this year and the playoffs will have a huge impact on that yeah Totally agree with that. Um, Jesse, thanks as always for stopping by. Uh, sharpening the pencil on the Vegas Gold the Knights. Uh, what has happened, uh, where we are, and where we are heading. Thank you, Jesse, as always, pal. You have a great weekend. Yep, thanks for having me. There he is, Jesse Granger from The Athletic, covering off the Vegas Gold the Knights. Tough one last night against the Toronto Maple Leafs, but like right now, the way the Maple Leafs are playing buzzsaw style... Um, it's going to be tough to beat this team. We'll see. Avalanche next for the Toronto Maple Leafs. That should be a great game on Hockey Night uh, in Canada tomorrow. Okay. In the meantime, time now for Line Change, presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sports book, Bet Local. And since we always feature on Friday a game from Hockey Night in Canada, it's the Battle of Alberta. Now, the Edmonton Oilers face off against the Minnesota Wild tonight. Let's give you the sort of rundown here. Uh, Edmonton minus one and a half. Oilers playing against the Wild tonight, as I mentioned, will be on the second half of a back-to-back. Oilers are 8-2 and two in their last 10 games against the Calgary Flames. Flames on a two-game win streak, an exciting one last night uh, against the Boston Bruins. Nassim Kadri with the overtime heroics there. Flames are 6-6-1 six, six and one against divisional opponents. Oilers are 11-6 and six against divisional opponents. And, you know, I was having a conversation with some this morning about the Edmonton Oilers cap space. And if you have a look at your uh, online resources, Cap Friendly, for example, uh, you'll look at the Edmonton Oilers and say, okay, so we're trying to figure out how this team's going to come together come trade deadline time. Ken Holland's going to have about $2.3 million to play with, according to Cap Friendly. But the problem is, right now, this is an Oilers team that's running very, very thin as they try to accrue cap space uh, leading into the March 8th trade deadline. And I think in a, right now they're just carrying six defensemen. Like eventually they're going to have to add here. Um, I think internally Edmonton's probably looking at, at running at about having about a million dollars worth of cap space to play with at trade deadline. Now, that doesn't you know include how many contracts you get rid of at trade deadline to open yourself to more possibilities. But as you're sort of blue-skying what 
Edmonton might do here to put the final pieces on what they think is, you know, a Stanley Cup for them. Keep in mind, when you have a look at, again, Puckpedia cap friendly, it could look like it's $2.3 million somewhere in that neighborhood, but it's really not because they're running really thin. Calgary Flames are a fascinating team right now. You know, Calgary Flames, the little two-game winning streak here, like, they're the, the team that refuses to go away. Like, they're making things pretty difficult here for Craig Conroy. Um, the Jacob Markstrom situation is a very interesting one, um, if the belief is true that what they're wrestling over right now more than anything else is how much cap retention should cost. Like, if Calgary is going to absorb, say, 50% of Jacob Markstrom's salary, what's that worth? I'm sure if you're the Calgary Flames, you're saying to yourself, uh, that's worth a first-round pick. Thank you very much. This isn't just, yeah, we're going to eat it for the remainder of the season. This is two more years of Jacob Markstrom and having that dead cap hit on your salary cap. Then there's the Noah Hannafin situation. Then there's the Kristanov situation, and maybe even more that we're not even aware of. Nonetheless, throw all of that trade discussion and deadline discussion out the window because tomorrow it's the Battle of Alberta on Hockey Night in Canada. That was Line Change, presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sports book, Bet Local. Sean Couturier still to come on the program. Scott Lachlan from Morning Skate on NHL Network Radio. He stops by to kick off Hour 2. Keep it here. Merrick's show continues across the Sportsnet Radio Network. Everything Raptors before and after the games. The Raptor Show with Will Liu. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to the program. So the combat of the hour, Sean Couturier, the uh, captain of the Philadelphia Flyers, will stop by as we wrap up another week here on the program and look forward to Hockey Night in Canada on Saturday. A number of really good games. Uh, 6.30 Eastern, the program begins with Hockey Central and your host, Ron McLean, Colorado, Toronto, Boston, Vancouver, Juicy Junior, real juicy. Vegas, Ottawa, and the Battle of Alberta. There's your Hockey Night on Saturday. In the meantime, good to be joined by Scott Lachlan, uh, the host of the Morning Skate on Sirius XM, NHL Network Radio. Scotty joins me now. Scotty, how are you, pal? I'm doing well, Jeff. Yourself? Uh, I'm doing well. Really quick, before we get to um, all the things going on around the uh, the NHL, and I do want to get your thoughts on Garrett Rank from last night, too. Um, sad day for the uh, hockey world. Sad day for Montreal Canadiens fans. Uh, number 17 passing away at the age of 91, Jean-Guy Talbot, uh, who's someone that, you know, newer fans may may not be uh, very familiar with, but, you know, here's someone that won a number of Stanley Cups, was, uh, was an all-star, uh, hard-hitting defenseman as well, went on to coach uh, in the NHL. Um, he's someone who, you know, unfortunately in a junior hockey incident ended the playing career of Scotty Bowman. Uh, Scotty later coached him with the St. Louis Blues, which would have made for an intriguing dynamic as well. Uh, do you have a thought on, on John Guital, but in his place and other, you know, Montreal Canadiens history or, or NHL history? Well, I mean, he stepped in, and I guess Toe Blake was the same, kind of stepped in, and all they did experience was success right off the hop and winning five straight Stanley Cups, too. And, you know, obviously not having had a chance to watch him play, you read back in the history books, Jeff, and you, you realize that he was a stable, stay-at-home type defenseman, could be physical, could be a good puck mover. He certainly yeah. wasn't Doug Harvey, and very few, many, uh, few guys were uh, back then, yeah. but... 
for him to, to be that stabilizing force back there to play over 800 games for the Canadians to me is real, real impressive. And uh, again, a, a couple of years ago, they honored the, the 12 uh, remaining members that had won uh, the five straight Stanley Cups for Montreal from 50, 56 through 1960. Uh, that's a, a rare class yeah. to be in. And I guess Don Marshall, now they're saying, is the only living member from that team that won five straight Stanley Cups. I'm always intrigued, too, Jeff, when you look back on the history of the original six, because I've heard people say, you know what? How hard could it have been to win a Stanley Cup back then? After all, you only have to beat out five different teams. And then you think about it, Jeff. There were so few jobs available back then. Like, if you were good enough to play in the original six, if you were good enough to play in the league at that time, you had to be the best of the ultimate best. And so the talent level of the league, just by process of elimination and saying, hey, the jobs were simply not available, you had to be the best of the best to play in it. And I think that if you did play in it like he did, and you had the Stanley Cups to boot, I mean, boy, that resume looks impressive. Uh, I'm so glad you made that point because it's certainly true. Oh, you only had to win two two rounds of the playoffs and then you won the Stanley Cup. That was, you're right, creme de la creme of hockey players everywhere. And, you know, the spillover for that was you had really strong rival leagues as well, like the American mm-hmm. Hockey League. And how many times did, uh, did people have the conversation, like how would the, you know, Johnny Bowers, Cleveland Barons do against the Montreal Canadiens in the 50s? Could they have been competitive? Could they have been on par? Like there were a number of teams. And again, we never saw it, so we'll, we'll never know. Could they have competed in the NHL? Like the WHA, I mean, one of the things that I loved about the WHA is they would run, you know, exhibition games against NHL teams. And it was cool. Like you would see like, okay, how really good are you know, the Winnipeg Jets, how good are, you know, really the New England Whalers? And there wasn't that arrogance or fear, I suppose, uh, from one league to another. They would run games against one another. Like it was a it was a fascinating time to be a hockey fan. But like I'll take that argument one step further, and it's a very uncomfortable conversation to have about a lot of people who we consider the greats of the game. But if you look at what happened with the NHL, after 1967, when six turned into 12, the league got watered down pretty fast. There was the doubling of the league. There was Vancouver and Buffalo coming in. Mm-hmm. There was, you know, the Islanders coming in. There was Washington coming in. The WHA st- took a lot of players away. There was rapid expansion uh, in the National Hockey League as well. Like, you can make the argument that, let me see if, see if you'll get on, on this island with me here, Scotty, that that period of time from, like, 67 maybe to 76 or 77, maybe even as, as high as 1980, as much as it was a lot of fun to watch hockey then, I've always made the argument that that's when the NHL was at its weakest because of all the expansion and the rival WHA league. Would you agree with me that in the history of the NHL, that period from 67 to, I'll say, 79 was the weakest in the history of the league? Yeah, I, I think you could make that case, Jeff, just for the reasons you point out, that a lot of guys would, would find their way into the WHA, of course, Bobby Hall and Jerry Cheevers and Derek Sanderson and Bernie Perron and yeah. so on and so forth. I mean, some star players left the league, and, and the league cannot be possibly as strong as it would have been with those star players in the National Hockey League. So you're right. I mean, there, there is a case to be made there. you got my mind going in all sorts of different directions, as always, Jeff, too, because I'm, <laughs> I'm thinking about the American Hockey League, and, hey, Milwaukee's won 18 
16 straight games. What would happen in a best of seven yes. if the Milwaukee Admirals took on the San Jose Sharks? Uh, I would tune in to watch something like that just to oh. see how it, all, how it all stacks up. But to your point, I mean, uh, the depth of talent in the American Hockey League back in the original six days must have just been off the charts good because these were the guys that were yes. really, really good, but just not good enough uh, due to the limited roster capabilities that NHL well, teams had back then. So, uh, boy, that would have been something to watch for sure in, in how deep hockey was at that pro level. That's a really interesting point, too, because you remember it took Johnny Bauer like a long time to get to the NHL, and a lot of it because mm-hmm. he didn't want to go. He was making more money in Cleveland. He's like, whoa, 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 the NHL is the NHL, and that's wonderful, but I'm making great money here in Cleveland. Yeah. And to, your, to your other point about Milwaukee, the that that gets my juices flowing here. If, they, if the Milwaukee Admirals, winners of 18 in a row, uh, play the San Jose Sharks right now, the intriguing thing to me is, you know, one of the headline stories with Milwaukee is the play of Yaroslav Askarov. Sure. It's been nothing short of phenomenal, and is as you'll recall, last year at the draft in, Nash- in, in Nashville, the Predators were trying to get up to San Jose's spot and do a trade with San Jose to grab that pick. We suspect to grab Will Smith and Yaroslav Askarov, we strongly believe, was part of that deal. So you want to talk about your brain going in a million different places all at once, Scotty? Yeah. That's where my brain's going on, your idea, which, again, you would just love to see it. Like, what if... The Milwaukee Admirals right now played the San Jose yeah. Sharks. Well, here's a question. Who would too, win? I, I mean, think that's a great question. Yeah, I, I think you could make the case that clearly Kakinen and Mackenzie Blackwood have been the best players for the Sharks this season. That having been said, in a best-of-seven series, would the Milwaukee Admirals have the best goalie in the series? I don't know. I mean, it'd be interesting to see how it all played out. Uh, and Troy Grosnick's been really good for them That's too. Right. And Kent. Yep. And listen, we've t- we've talked before about you know how long can you keep Ken 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 Taylor the, uh, the the coach there? How long can you keep him in the American Hockey League until he finally graduates uh, to the National Hockey mm-hmm. League? So there's a there's a whole lot. Uh, there is a whole lot there. Now, one of the things that I was getting into on the podcast and getting into on the radio show here a couple uh, a couple of moments ago, what do you do if you're the New Jersey Devils right now? What do you do if you're New Jersey and things have gone the way things have gone for you? And specifically last night where it's a it's a blue shirt invasion and, you know, right from Matt Rempe um, hitting Nathan Bastian early and getting the five in the game and then the Truba-Bastian fight and all the goals and Panarin's dancing um, and uh, Shishterkin's pulling off his heroics as well. Like... It seemed as if every flaw that New Jersey had was exposed last night against the Rangers. What do you do if you're Tom Fitzgerald now? Well, look, I, I think first and foremost, you try to improve on the back end. Uh, if you can do that, great. And I mean, we've heard about the Markstrom situation and whether or not there was a lot of smoke and they were that close to making a deal or not, uh, I guess remains to be seen. And maybe that comes to the surface once again here in the next couple of weeks. But uh, I, I thought it was kind of telling. I mean, you know, uh, recently to hear Jack Hughes in a post game talk about, hey, we got some saves tonight from Nico Dawes, and that always helps. Like a yeah. lot of people read into that, like, yes. is that? Yeah. Like a plea for help. Like, we need better goaltending here if we're going to get back to where we were uh, and, and be that type of team yeah. again. So, look, I, I think there's something there. And, and Nico Dawes is a great story and I think does have a future. But you wouldn't think for a team that's got some designs on making a run again that he'd probably be the answer. So, you know, whether it's getting Vanacek back healthy again and hoping he can catch it or, or Schmidt gets another look, I'm not sure. Uh, but that's probably a good place to start. You and I have talked about it too, Jeff. And you're right to bring up Dougie Hamilton, right? The, the injury that, uh, that, that really has curtailed oh. their, their, their progress and, and maybe not being talked about as much. Now you're hearing that maybe just 
Davis, maybe he can come back at playoff time should they get back to the postseason. Uh, I'm not really sure, but I think it's pretty clear that if you're going to address that roster, uh, it starts from the goalie out. Whether you can get a guy who can be an upgrade on what you've got remains to be seen. Uh, Again, depth on defense and and, and trying in some way, shape, or form to upgrade on the blue line, too, I think would probably be uh, what Tommy Fitzgerald's going to try to look at doing here in the next couple of weeks. You know, it, it sounds as if those conversations aren't exactly dead with the Calgary Flames, but I think one of the uh, one of the roadblocks here, Ellie and I just talked about this, it sounds like one of the roadblocks is very much how much, like what is the price tag for Calgary retaining? Mm-hmm. Like let's say Calgary retains on half of Markstrom's contract. Like that's a couple more years. Is that worth as much as a first-round pick? Like, you're pretty sure that yeah. Calgary's probably thinking it right now. Like, it's interesting. You know, I was having a conversation with someone from from um, uh, from a Western Conference team this morning, and I was like, you know, give me, like, how you feel, you know, the, the snapshot is of the marketplace right now in advance of trade deadline. And he said to me, well, it kind of feels like the same way that it feels every season right now. Um, it's this, it's, it's a sort of, it's a, it's a struggle or it's a fight. On the one hand, prices are high because teams are going to try to figure out whether they can get the price that they want. But they said also, on the other hand, this is all tempered with a fear of injury that the player that you want to move, keep playing them, might get hurt. Mm -hmm. And what you thought you had, which might have been a little bit on the low side, you might be able to get more, all of a sudden turns into zero if the player that you want is all of a sudden injured. Hockey is a very dangerous game. I know players don't like to be sat out, and the NHL doesn't like you know sitting out players until you're close to a trade or right around trade deadline time. We all know about that. But does that kind of feel to you what the the snapshot of the league is right now? Prices are still high because teams feel they can wait other teams out and get the price they want. Yeah, I think so. And look, we saw it. I mean, Exhibit A as to the risk you take is Jake Gensel, right? I mean, Jake Gensel, we think, is one of the cards, maybe one of the few cards that Kyle Dubas can still play uh, in Pittsburgh to try to improve his team, whether it be for now uh, and or the future. Uh, and, and we saw that Gensel got hurt. So now he's going to be presumably injured through the trade deadline. And then you wonder, okay, if you're a team out there that's looking for Jake Gensel and you know he's going to be probably out for at least another week after the deadline comes and goes, how much are you willing to give up? And is there a risk of another injury happening for Gensel? And then you've got egg on your face uh, in the end, too. So I think that you know the risk of injury factors into a lot of different things here. And, yeah, this is not baseball, like you say, Jeff. You don't sit a guy out for a couple of days and say he's got a, a hangnail and he just can't play uh, when in reality he's completely <laughs> healthy. Uh, I, I think that you know you can't bubble wrap these guys, uh, that they're going to play and they're going to yeah. be in the lineup. But it's, it's really risky, and the Penguins just kind of paid the price there with, a, with an injury to Jake Gensel. Tough one. Um, what do you make of Austin Matthews right now? You know, lately we've been talking about, listen, if he hits 60, wrap it up. That's the hard trophy with all due respect. Kucherov, McKinnon, we'll see what McDavid does and outside chance for Connor Hellebuck. Uh, Matthews hits 70, uh, hard trophy time, mm. Scotty? Yeah, I think so. I, I think that's the deciding factor for me, Jeff. I, I, I think he's got, what, 52 now, and he's earmarked for 77 at this point. Uh, but I, I guess he's going to yeah. go into a bit of a, a semi-slump. Uh, every goal scorer does at some point. Uh, but even a slump for him might still get him to 70 when it's all said and done. So, you know, I think when you weigh the great season uh, that Kucherov has had in Tampa, certainly Nathan McKinnon with Colorado, uh, Connor McDavid hard-charging yeah. with the Edmonton Oilers, as we know, that's all well and good. But if you get to do what Matthews is, we think about to do and get into that 70 club, 
which hasn't been done, as we know, yeah. for quite some time. I think that's the deciding factor. That's the asterisk beside it all. Uh, when he wins yeah. the Hart Trophy to go along with the Rocket Richard Trophy, you say, hey, this guy did something that hasn't been done in quite some time, and as such, he should be recognized as the best player in the league. You know, Scotty, I thought that um, one of maybe the best points that I heard all week was from you. And it was around the stadium series. And you wondered whether, you know, given the success of, you know, Rangers, Islanders, Devils, Philadelphia Flyers, all the storylines contained, how good the action was, how good the presentation was, uh, how everybody seemed to really love it, how unlike other outdoor games, this one came off really great on TV as well. Like it's more, it's become more of a live event thing, but, you know, specifically Rangers Islanders came off great uh, on television vision as well you know you wondered whether there'd be an appetite to make this an annual tradition with mm-hmm. these four teams that weekend out i just love the idea of, of of having a consistent tent pole event like that uh hosted at metlife uh to me it made a lot of sense i loved it uh do you have a thought or two on something that you amused about earlier on this week well, you know, Jeff, I, I think it makes sense. It makes a lot of sense, dollars and cents perhaps, too, uh, which is going to be yeah. certainly a component of it. But, look, my favorite team is the Dallas Cowboys. Of course, they play every Thanksgiving. That's an annual tradition. Uh, we know the Detroit Lions for decades and decades and decades have played every Thanksgiving. That's an annual tradition. Why not make it so that you've got an outdoor game to look forward to, maybe two outdoor games to look forward to at MetLife? Uh, they threw uh, more than 150,000 fans into those seats over the course of, what, 18 hours? hours. It was phenomenal to watch. And then for the game on Sunday in particular with that great Rangers comeback to be so dramatic and to be so exciting, I think it only added to it. So, look, if they did this on an annual basis, could you put 150,000 in for two games? I think you could. And as such, I think the NHL should probably explore it. It's pretty much in their own backyard down there in New York slash New Jersey anyway. Uh, So I think it makes a whole lot of sense. Now, you're going to get the expected blowback from fan bases, right? Like, well, why are the Rangers always involved? Just like for years we've heard, hey, how come the Pittsburgh Penguins and the Blackhawks are always involved in outdoor games? Well, there's a reason for that. Uh, Their teams and their players in particular, the future Hall of Famers, those guys have moved the needle over the years. I mean, it's great for TV ratings, and it makes a whole lot of sense. So uh, I just think this makes a lot of sense for the NHL to look into it, too. Whether or not they do, I'm not sure. Uh, but to me, it's it's basically a license to print money. I don't think that if you went for a game or two every year uh, in New York slash New Jersey around this time, uh, that you would come up, uh, you know, in a, in a failing type situation. I think it would be totally the opposite. I think it would be something that would be great for TV, uh, great for the fans in the stands and paying for tickets. And uh, I think certainly would create a whole lot of interest in what is the the biggest media market pretty much in the in the world. You know who else would really love it, Scotty? Players from 28 other teams mm-hmm. who look at their escrow deductions and say, hmm, how can we get these down? Um, how can we make these a little more reasonable? Thank you very much. Like, th- th- that's just the reality. Like, those are the teams that financially move the needle. Like, here, here's what you need to know. Like that Islanders-Rangers game, for example, that was an Islanders home game. That was not a Rangers home game. That's an Islanders home game because they buy out the team. They buy out the home team, you know, buy out, buy out the rank, buy out the home, home gate, uh, and that becomes uh, their home game as bought by the NHL. And generally, that is all done by the team that has the the, the sort of the, the, the weaker, I don't want to say weaker fan base, mm-hmm. uh, but you're not going to walk away from a full MSG. 
Um, the New York Rangers move the needle, and your leagues yep. are always better when your big teams are great. And right now, the New York Rangers are great, and they were just part of a great event at MetLife. Yeah, I think so, Jeff. And look, there's a reason why the NFL for so many years has sent the Jacksonville Jaguars over to London, right? <laughs> it's like, well, we can sacrifice a home date or two for the Jaguars along the way because they're not going to yes. sell out maybe anyway. Uh, so we can just give, you know, yeah. one of their home dates over to, to England and go from there. And look, if there's too much blowback or too much concern that you're going to have the same four teams participating on a rotating basis every year, then just say, you know what? Okay, Rangers Islanders. Uh, we'll, we'll make it Rangers Islanders for a couple of years. And Rangers get a home game and the Outers get a home game, what have you, the Rangers are always involved, the Outers are always involved, then maybe give the Devils a couple of years run at it, that sort of thing, uh, and you could have different opponents rotating in there, but when you've got the Rangers, Outers, and Devils uh, playing outdoors in New Jersey, mm-hmm. I think it's can't miss for the NHL. Hey, you know, uh, so much of our conversations uh, on your program, on this program, um, revolve around who's going where come trade deadline time. And I think everyone's wondering, you know, who could be a surprise? Who could be a sneaky good pick? Who could be a sneaky good trade? Who can be the, the Ivan Barbashev, you know, that uh, Kelly McCrimmon pulled off last year in the trade with St. Louis uh, that helped win the, uh, the Vegas Golden Knights of Stanley Cup? Um, don't look now, but Anthony Mantha has 18 goals. Scored again last night. He's on the expiring contract, playing really well this year uh, with the Washington. Capitals. Uh, do you have someone like in the back of your mind who I don't know may not be a, a headline driving, you know, trade deadline, you know, blue chipper that we're all wondering about, like Jake Gensel? Um, I, I wonder about Anthony Mantha. Do you have your own version of Anthony Mantha, Scotty? Well, I don't know if I have my own version. I think Mantha is very enticing, but that essentially has been Anthony Mantha's career, right? As you all know, Jeff, right? I mean, in the yes. queue, what did he score? Fifty yes. plus two straight years. I think played for Valdor way back. He had. Then. So there was the one year where Valdor went to the Memorial Cup in London, yeah. where he had eighty-one goals in eighty-one games. Wow! And every time he touched the puck, was fin- everyone was terrified when the puck was on Anthony Mantha's. I, honestly, Scotty, I thought this guy was going to be a stud. I thought Detroit just fleeced the draft when they got him. He was mm-hmm. big. He had the soft hands. Like oh. And then next thing you know, Jimmy Devilano's wondering if he'll ever play in the NHL, like five minutes after he was drafted, which was kind of odd back then. But nonetheless, yeah, I thought that the, the Red Wings were getting a stud. And I still, like, you know, you know, what's, you know what's interesting, Scotty? There used to be the old saying, and it still really is true, um, a small player has to prove that he can play, mm-hmm. but a big player has to prove that he can't. And that's still, I think, why people are still enticed with Anthony Mantha. Yeah, I think when you look at his measurables, Jeff, what is he, like 6'5", 225, and he can skate for a big man really, really well, yeah. and he's got a great shot. He scored all those goals in the queue, and you're like, why can't we see this on a regular basis? It's like the, it's like the Ron Flockhart syndrome, right? You see him flying up and down the ice, can skate like the wind, great and why goal. did Ron Flockhart not turn out to be a star in the NHL? Uh, that's a question for another day. I think about teams that are out of it, obviously, and that's where you start with the bottom feeders that are willing to move guys, and look, we've heard for a long time about Trevor Zegris maybe has worn out his welcome in Anaheim. Uh, we'll wait and see if anything gives there. Uh, everybody talks about Zegris, and is he more style than substance? Uh, I guess he'll have to, to, to address that in the coming years, but he's supremely talented, as we know. So there's a guy that could fit into a team's top six and, and make a difference, perhaps. Uh, I look at a guy as well. I don't think that they'd ever want to move him, Jeff. I'd have to think that he'd be one of those types of guys that would be a part of the building blocks for the future, 
and again, maybe this is even wrong to say his name because he's had a fantastic season very quietly. Lawson Kraus has been really, really good for the Coyotes, right? Like there's that type of guy that could be a difference maker. I'm doubting that that Bill Armstrong wants to move him out. I would have to think he's still young enough uh, in what he supplies for the Coyotes to play a part for when they actually do come around and can get away from like 11-game losing streaks and things of that nature and to play in a real NHL arena at some point in the future. I would think he's one of the guys that they still want to build around. But there's a guy, boy, if anybody could get, ever get a power forward like Lawson Kroos out of the desert, that would be a, a big coup as far as I'm concerned. You know, there was, that's an interesting name, Scotty, because there was a while, a couple of years ago, where I, I know it was at least the Boston Bruins and other teams were really trying to get Lawson Kroos away from mm-hmm. the Arizona Coyotes. I know the Bruins were really uh, aggressive, and I know what you're thinking, like, oh, wow, big big power forward, the Boston Bruins all o- are all over him. Surprise, surprise. <laughs> um, but, I mean, it, it's 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 pretty simple. I don't think you have to squint to see it. Like, you can see Lawson Kroos uh, in, a, in a Boston Bruins uniform. Like, it just looks like it's almost hand-to-glove. Uh, I, I do, like, just like to dovetail that into a conversation about the Boston Bruins, too. Like, that's a team that I wonder about at deadline here. Like, we kept thinking, like, oh, yeah, they're going to go get a center. They're going to go get a center. I mean, those two centers that they have now, Coyle mm-hmm. and Zaka, trending towards, you know, having a better point output than uh, what we saw last year with the Patrice Bergeron and uh, and David Krejci. I don't know. Like, it, it seemed as if, you know, last year the Boston Bruins, you know, just loaded up and, you know, gave away futures and prospects and picks, etc. Are they one of those teams that you think, you know, even as good as they are, don't make a move at deadline. Keep the powder dry. Like, like right now, I think we're all wondering about Linus Allmark, and if the Boston Bruins make a move there, that you know, I was, I was saying on the podcast that came out this morning. I wonder if the Boston Bruins look at their two goalie situation and say, on the one hand, you can look at it as an area of strength for us, but also you can look at it and say. This is a luxury, and we need help in other places, and we can't afford this luxury anymore. How do you see the Boston Bruins now? Well, that's a great question because Brandon Bussey certainly is a guy that appears to be, you know, NHL ready or, or at least on the cusp as well. And, and maybe you could backfill that way. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I, I'd have to wait and see, Jeff, when it comes to those two goalies. I mean, from what we hear, not only are they almost identical, of course, with what we see on the ice, but off the ice, apparently just really tight, really close. It's not one of these, hey, you know, number one goaltender, I'm the guy and uh, to heck with you. I'm not going to help you right. out in any way. It's not this like Ed Belfour Patrick Watt type thing where whoever the backup is, I'm going to treat you like dirt, so to speak. Uh, This is a great working relationship (laughs) between these two guys in Allmark and Swayman. Uh, And and I think you've got to be very, very careful because it is a luxury, yes, to a certain extent, uh, but they've got arguably the the top tandem in the National Hockey League. Once again, you could throw the Rangers and Outers certainly into that conversation as well. Uh, But, yeah, I just think if you're going to add for Boston, you're just still looking to add up front. Uh, and whether that's, you know, depth mm-hmm. at center, even though, as you say, Coyle has had really a career year as far as he's concerned. Yeah. And you look at Pavel Zaka making the, uh, the the switch from wing to center on a consistent basis and really uh, bringing his end of it as well. So they haven't suffered as much down the middle as we thought that they would. And Patra certainly added a little bit of something before he went to the World Juniors and came back and got hurt a whole bit. So, uh, look, I, yeah. I think maybe down the middle you can add a little bit. Uh, maybe up front on the wing you can still add a little bit. Uh, they were the type of team that even had a little bit of success with a Tyler Bertuzzi before those types of situations and those types True. of players maybe uh, would fit like a glove for Don Sweeney. Okay, let me finish up with this one because depending on the day, 
Well, actually, Scott, to be honest, depending on the hour of the day, I'll give you a different answer. Uh, at 2 o'clock, I'll say Colorado. At 3 o'clock, I'll say Dallas. And at 4 o'clock, I'll say Winnipeg. Who's the best team in the Central Division? Uh, I, I'll just be different and say Colorado. Jeff, I'll, I'll still say Colorado. I know Flat they've had their yeah. ups and downs. And let's face it, the Avalanche have been an average team away from Ball Arena this season, right? The old Bill Parcells, you are what your record yeah. says you are. Well, the record says that they're so dominant on home ice. At last check, I think they were 22-5. and five, uh, Yet they've been an average Correct. team away from Denver. So uh, I'm still going to say the Avalanche just because I see the pedigree there uh, with the Avalanche just a couple of years removed from winning the Stanley Cup. So uh, I'm going to say Colorado yeah. still the team to beat. Uh, Dallas all of a sudden, I mean, you got to give Ottawa credit, Jeff. I mean, that was the best defensive effort that team's had all season long, right? Maybe they are buying into Jacques totally, Martin's system, totally. uh, yeah, limiting them to 15 shots on goal last night. But Dallas has not looked like Dallas. And, you know, they're, they're more or less a pop-gun offense right now, it, it appears to be. Uh, they're going to have to go out and address some situations, too, up front and on the back end as well. Uh, and I love the Winnipeg story. I know that everyone's talking about the commissioner going into Winnipeg on Tuesday for that uh, big meeting with fans and, most importantly, with corporate sponsorships and and things of that nature coming up. Uh, but I still like Colorado by a hair. Uh, that's the way I called it before the season. Colorado by a hair over Dallas. Colorado to eventually go on to win the Stanley Cup championship once again. So uh, I'm going to stand by the Avalanche just because of their pedigree and because of the star power that they've mm-hmm. got. And, and maybe one of your favorite players, perhaps your favorite player, Jeff, as you've talked about, Gabriel oh, yeah. uh, coming back, yeah. walking through that door for Game 83. Wouldn't that be something? Oh, that's going to be an emotional night in my household. I'm not going to lie to you, Scotty, seeing Gabriel Landeskog back on that. I can't even pretend to be, like, you know, objective and, you know, to, yeah. you, know be, you know, fly a thousand miles above. Like, no, no, no. I just I just love watching Landeskog play. Uh, I'll be only too happy to watch him come back. Uh, we'll end on that. Scotty, you have yourself a great weekend. Uh, continued success with the program on NHL Network Radio, and we'll check back soon. All right. Great stuff. Thanks. Thanks for having me, Jeff. Larry is the great Scott Lachlan from uh, Morning Skate on Sirius XM NHL Network Radio. We uh, pause. We'll step away. We're going to come back with the captain of the Philadelphia Flyers. He is Sean Couturier. Uh, we'll wrap up the week with him uh, from the surprising Philadelphia Flyers. Although, I wonder, like, in that room, is any of this surprising? Players kind of have a way of saying, no, dummy, we knew we would be this good. We'll see if Sean Couturier feels that way as well. Captain of the Philadelphia Flyers, Sean Couturier, is up in a couple of moments. Merrick's show continues across the Sportsnet radio network, simulcast on Sportsnet 360, and wherever you get your podcasts. Back in a moment. Big guests and bigger opinions on everything happening in Leafsland. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. Welcome back to the program. So, as we all expected, here we are, Friday, February 23rd. The Philadelphia Flyers are very much in a playoff spot. Third place in the Metropolitan Division. After 57 games, they have 67 points. Plus four goal differential. Again, as we all predicted, right? Maybe not, but I'm sure the players will sing a different tune and say, you know what? We knew we were this good. Thanks for catching up to the rest of us. The captain of the Philadelphia Flyers is Sean Couturier. He joins me now. Sean, thanks so much for doing this. How are you today? I'm good. It's my pleasure. 
so off the top of the show, like this is a conversation that I think a lot of people have had all season long. Um, we looked at the beginning of the season and said, okay, a lot of this may depend on how how you are um, for this season, but we didn't expect the Philadelphia Flyers after, you know, saying like, look, we're rebuilding this thing, we're, we're, we're tearing it down and building it back up. Nobody really expected the Flyers to be this good this season. But what did the players say in the room? Like, what was the message in the room? How were you guys talking to one another when the season started? Well, I think it was, I think we, we kind of had the mentality where we, we kind of dictate how fast we're going to, you know, turn this thing around. And, you know, we didn't know if it would be, you know, within a couple weeks or a couple months or a year or two. But uh, I think we, we just we took the challenge to kind of just grow as a team from, from uh, you know, from pre-camp. We, we all showed up early and, you know, we're ready to put in the work and, and, and turn this thing around. And uh, we got off to a good start and started believing in ourselves and, um, you know, really credit to everyone just kind of, you know, bringing their A game from the start and, you know, bonding and being a tight group and playing for one another. I think it, it shows that we can uh, we can do a lot of good things. Well, was there a moment in the season? I don't know if it was one maybe even specific game or one sort of string of games, one road trip, one homestand, where everybody on the team kind of realized, you know what, we can do this. Like we're good enough to be a playoff team here. Did that occur to everyone at the same time, or was it at different times? Uh, I think there was there was a couple moments early on in the year where um, you know we we uh, we played like we played Vegas. I think on the road they were undefeated, and you know they they beat us, but they they tied the game late, and we they we gave up a, a late goal with I think 20 seconds left in the game to lose three two. Uh, I think from there on, we kind of believe we could play with with anyone. Uh, and after that, I think a couple weeks later, um, we played. I remember playing. We played San Jose when they were, you know, they they were going through a tough tough stretch, hadn't won yet uh, all year, and they beat us. Yeah. Uh, and I think that was kind of like, a, you know, it could have been a, a breaking point for us. But then we responded right away with beating Anaheim, which was pretty good at the time, and 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 in LA in LA on a back-to-back so I think it just from from there we kind of showed our character and know that we you know we could play with anyone on any given night and uh from there it just kind of build build off and you know took off and you know we started believing in each other and uh, yeah I think that's where we kind of you know turn things around I think you know, you've had a wonderful season. This has been a great comeback season for you. Uh, we know all about, you know, the injuries and the surgeries, et cetera. And I was on the on the program earlier this week saying, you know, a, a lot of a lot of the success of the Philadelphia Flyers is because Sean Couturier came back and could play at a level that we're used to seeing Sean Couturier. So everything else just seemed to fit with the Philadelphia Flyers lineup. Um, did you feel that pressure at the beginning of the season? Like, I need to be at this level if this is going to work? Uh, not really. I mean, for me personally, it was just trying to get back out there, feeling good about myself, uh, you know, finding my rhythm again after missing almost two years. Um, yeah. And I was just really just kind of almost enjoying it. You know, I've missed the game so much uh, over you know those last year and a half, two years that – I was just having a lot of fun and, and kind of going with it. And, you know, as the year went on or as, you know, the weeks went by, um, started, you know, kind of 
putting a little more pressure on myself and, and trying to, you know, you know, make a difference. And, and, you know, I think everyone's kind of, kind of like that as, as an athlete and, and, and our team. And, you know, we have that, I think we have a lot of guys with character, even if we're young, we have a lot of guys with character and, um, yeah, I think it just kind of, kind of all together, we just kind of bonded from the start. And, um, really that's what really makes, I think our team success is, you know, even through the, even through the downs, you know, we, we, we just stick together and go out and play and, and fight. And, uh, that's really been kind of our, our, our model this year, I think. You know, t- uh, going back to training camp, I can't help but but wondering. You know, you're coming off this, you know, significant time off. Were guys scared to hit you or to play physically with you to begin? Like, did you have to say, like, "Hey, guys, like, I- I'm okay. Like, test me physically here." Um, I, maybe a little bit. Um, I was kind of. I, I feel I was initiating a lot of the contact uh, for sure, uh, trying to test yeah. my body, feel how, see how it feels and stuff. Um, but yeah, no, I think, uh, it was, it was, it was a tough, it was a tough camp for sure. I mean, uh, the, you know, the Tortorella camp, um, you know, everyone knows how it is and how tough it is. And, uh, mm. just to go through that, that first couple of days of, of bag skates and, and conditioning, um, and then after that, you know, get into games right away. And, and I played a lot of exhibition games just to kind of try to get my rhythm back, uh, you know feel the body and, and see how it reacts and uh, all that put together I think really kind of put put my my doubts or questions behind me um, right after camp so uh, I was good to go from the start and felt great and been feeling great my back's been feeling great all year so um, just glad it's, good. it's it's behind me now did you have any idea that at the beginning of the season at some point you'd be named the captain uh, no, I didn't know. Um, especially, you know, at the start of the year, Torts said, you know, we're going, uh, with one assistant captain, uh, like we did last year with Scott Lawton leading the way. So, um, you know, for me, you know, whether you have a, a letter or not, you can, you can, you can always lead in, in your way. And, um, that's what I tried doing. I know we have a younger team, so, uh, trying to set a good example for everyone and, and set some, some good work ethic uh, habits and, and stuff like that. But, um, no, it's, uh, it's definitely an honor and, you know, um, really glad to just be a part of this prestigious organization and, and represent the city and, and, mm-hmm. in that way. But, um, like I've said, it doesn't change the way we go about our business. Uh, I think as, as a group, like I said, we've, come a long way since since pre-camp and um you know building this this thing this you know this special thing we got going on right now and um yeah it's gonna be Mm -hmm. business as usual there's not really much to change really at this point anyways you know you've uh you've joined a long list of uh Outstanding captains, like and legendary captains, like we we think of certainly Bobby Clark and Eric Lindros and um, Desjardins, and most recently Claude Giroux as well. Chris Pronger was in there, like Mike Richards, like some really big names have worn that C. What did you think of when it first went on your sweater? Yeah, definitely, definitely, like you said, um, an honor. Um, like I said, prestigious. It's a prestigious organization with a lot of history and great players that went through, uh, great captains, great leaders. Um, so this is this is a pretty successful organization um, overall. So um, it definitely comes with a little more responsibilities, but uh, I think I'm ready for that. Mm-hmm. And 
um, just going to, you know, try to stay the same person I am, the same leader I am, and, and you know, lead by example. Uh, in that regard, I don't think, you know, much is going to change. I just got to be myself and, uh, you know, kind of kind of lead the way. Let me ask you about John Tortorella. Talking to Sean Couturier, captain of the Philadelphia Flyers. Let me ask you about about torts. Like everybody has their pet stories uh, about John. Um, you know, some guys he works worked great with. Others maybe rubbed the wrong way. Was it wasn't a great fit? Um, has there been you know one or two exchanges that you've had with torts? I know. Listen, before you were named captain, there was that scene. You know, having a, having a good bark at you on the bench. But you know, what's been the nature of the relationship so far with with you and John Tortorella, and do you have, like, I remember he used to have always a saying, you know, safe as death, safe as death. That was his mantra when he was coaching with the Tampa Bay Lightning. Anything stand out from you, either conversations or sayings or things you'll you'll take away from your relationship with John Tortorella? Uh, well, I think, I think he's, I think he's evolved over the years. Uh, definitely not the, 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 the kind of coach I, I, I thought from, from his reputation with, with the media and, and his image, I guess, out there, but um, what I can tell you is he's just a really honest man that, you know, means, wants the best out of his players. Um, and yeah, he'll, he'll give you, you know, the, 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 the truth, what he thinks. Uh, sometimes you might like it, sometimes you might not, but you know, he's telling you exactly what he thinks. And, uh, it's, it's up to you as a player to kind of respond and, and handle it, how you handle it. And, um, yeah, I think he's, He's really open-minded to uh, certain something that I've, you know, kind of wasn't expecting. Um, he, you know, he he'll, you know, he'll he'll give you a hard time if 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 you think you 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 need it, and you know he'll move on, uh, and then you know give you more opportunities, more chances to kind of respond. And um, mm-hmm. honestly, it's, it's 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 what you want, I guess. You want the honest, the the honest truth, um, and that's what you get from him. So that's 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 really the biggest uh, uh, I guess thing I can say about him. He's uh, he's been remarkable. What was it like scoring that goal, the uh, the game winner against the Seattle Kraken? Did Tortorella say anything to you after that one? Uh, no, he didn't. I just saw the 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 the, the media reaction. I guess uh, about the big <laughs> fu. We uh, loved it. <laughs> I loved it. It wasn't. It wasn't. It wasn't. Uh, it wasn't that my celebration. I can tell you that uh, it was just uh, me. You know, uh, being emotional there, and you know, just being uh, yeah. happy to be able to to respond in, in in a good way with with a big goal there at the end of the game. Let me uh, let me finish up with this one. Um, Daniel Briere, Dan Hilferty, Keith Jones—they've been open and transparent about the plan for the Philadelphia Flyers. Um, I don't know that anyone expected this type of season from Philadelphia, but you know you play the cards that you're dealt, and right now Philadelphia is playing a hot hand. Um, what have they told you to expect around trade deadline time? Uh haven't told me personally anything, um, but uh, Torts just told us um, that he's going to be honest and open with us. Um, if if anyone has any questions or doubts, that you can go up to him and he'll try to give you the the truth. Um, but other than that, it's 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 business as usual. Um, I guess we're kind of. Uh, in a weird spot, like like uh, like everyone thinks, we 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 didn't really, you know, no one really expected us to be in this uh, this this playoff push here uh, late in the season. So yeah. uh, that's 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 I guess it's a good problem. Um, 
but you know, for us, it's it's business as usual, and whatever happens, um, we're still going to be fighting till the end of the year. That's for sure. Flyers are going great. Um, we'll end on that. Congratulations again on the captain's nod. Good luck this weekend against the New York Rangers. Thanks so much for doing this. Thank you. Appreciate it. There he is. Sean Couturier is the captain of the Philadelphia Flyers, one of the more surprising teams in the NHL. Just flat out one of the best stories uh, this year in the NHL. I mean, I think everybody expected Daniel Briere, Keith Jones um, to really start stripping this thing down. And they still might. Right, like, they, they, like, and I asked that question of Sean Couturier legitimately. The Philadelphia Flyers still might, like, if they get the right price for Sean Walker, guess what? If they get the right price for Nick Sealer, despite the fact that they may want to keep him in the mix, ditto for uh, for Sean Walker. Well, guess what? Um, I think outside of you know prized prospects and key players in key positions here, um, I think the Philadelphia Flyers are very much open for business. Um, and the business is getting this Philadelphia Flyers team to a place where they can consistently compete for not just the playoff spot, but the Stanley Cup as well. And they're going about it the right way. And they're going about it in a way that is kind of wrecking it for other teams in a lot of ways. Like the Philadelphia Flyers, like just consider this. You know, we think about the lowest point of the Philadelphia Flyers season last year, and that was that game against the New York Rangers – New Jersey Devils fans know what this feels like now. There was a game against the New York Rangers where it seemed as if the lion's share of fans were wearing blue sweaters, where it was the New York Rangers invasion in Philadelphia. And the Rangers are going great. The Philadelphia Flyers were having the season that the Philadelphia Flyers were having. And Rangers fans let them know about it. That was the low point of the season last year for the Philadelphia Flyers. Listen, decision was made from top to bottom that this is a team that needed to rebuild and there were going to be some hard decisions and there were going to be some trades that weren't very popular. And some of those things Daniel Briere was able to do. There were some of those things that Daniel Briere wasn't able to do. And we think about how Travis Sanheim could have been a St. Louis Blue if Tory Krug would have said, yes, I will waive to go to Philadelphia. Um, those things didn't happen. But again, there have been difficult scenarios when we think of Cutter Gauthier, and the Philadelphia Flyers had to stick-handle that very sensitive situation, and it turned into Jamie Drysdale. Now, is Jamie Drysdale where the Philadelphia Flyers envision him getting to? Not yet. But I think we all look at Jamie Drysdale as a young defenseman, 21 years old, and say that's someone that you can probably see anchoring the power play for the, for the Philadelphia Flyers for a number of years. But it'll be uncomfortable decisions all along the way. Like Sean Walker, I know we're all talking a lot about Sean Walker, and rightfully so. Sean Walker's had a fantastic season. I'm of the belief that when the Flyers made that move initially and looked at, okay, so what's the long-term projection here for Sean Walker? You know, we're rebuilding here, probably not a place long-term for Sean Walker. He's going to turn into maybe, across your fingers, a third-round pick at trade deadline this year. That was the thought when they made the move in the offseason and probably the thought going into the season. But Walker's put himself into a position now where we're wondering, A, could they get a first-round pick? For Sean Walker, and B, should they even entertain trading him in the first place? Or does the thought of moving Travis Sanheim for the right to the left make some more sense and make some space here 
for Sean Walker long term and maybe keep the Walker Sealer combination together. Uh, I was told that there was at least one team that tried to get the pair, both Sealer and Walker. I know internally that pair is very valued, and there are some who have mentioned that they'll put that pair up against most, if not all, in the NHL. But despite the fact that Walker and Sealer have performed at a very high level for the Philadelphia Flyers, and despite the fact that both are really loved in that locker room and respected amongst those guys, and I think a lot of them are wondering you know, why they haven't been re-signed already, the difficult decision is if the Philadelphia Flyers get the right price. Regardless of, hey, we're in a playoff spot, shouldn't we be adding here, GM? Those guys will be traded. I think it is still very much eyes on the prize for the Philadelphia Flyers. I don't think that they look at this season and say, eh, this is fool's gold. Don't believe it. Because I think that they believe they have a very competitive team. And in some ways, what's making this point at the uh, beginning of the season, and so far it's come to fruition, not that I'm some genius, but you could just kind of see it, right? Maybe John Tortorella, if you want to do the classic rebuild, in one sense, is kind of bad for it because there's no way this team was not going to be competitive from the get-go with John Tortorella coaching it. Now, you can look at it one of two ways. One, uh, you want a coach that no one like no one's throwing games here, but Tortorella burns hot on this team. He really does. And there's a high expectation, game in, game out, practice in, practice out, that the Philadelphia Flyers have to play and practice and compete at a certain level and they've found it, and they're winning. Is that good for a rebuild or bad for a rebuild? I mean, bad because you're not getting yourself into lottery position, but as we've seen before, a lot of the classic rebuilds take a lot longer than you bargain for. You might say to yourself, yeah, you know what? We're going to strip it all down, take it down to the nuts and bolts, and within three, maybe four years, we'll be back. Ask the Buffalo Sabres how that's going. Ask a lot of teams previous how that's going when you do those types of rebuilds as opposed to what it looks like the Philadelphia Flyers are doing here right now and bonus fries they just found themselves in a playoff position too they're not going to go scorched earth they're not taking it down to the studs and whichever kids make it onto this team you know whichever week whenever you know next prospect i mean Matt Mitchkoff is still you know some some years away here but whenever any of the prospects are ready you know, they're going to have earned it because they're going to have to jump over players. Nothing is going to be handed to any of these guys. You've heard the old phrase, right? Earn, not given. No one's being given a spot here with the, with the Flyers. Cam York, first-round pick, he wasn't given a spot. Nope, no chance. And I think that'll be consistent for every member of the Philadelphia Flyers for players that are looking to join, either right away from after being drafted or spending some time with Lehigh Valley. You know, Tyson Forrester, there's another one. That wasn't given. That was one where he had to pound it out and earn his ice and fight even harder to stay than to get there in the first place. Essentially, this is a long-winded way of saying this is one of the more intriguing rebuilds that we've seen in the NHL for quite some time. And it's still going to be painful, and it's still going to be some very unpopular moves. But when you look at where Daniel Briere right now as a very young and rookie general manager, where he has the Philadelphia Flyers, I think he's really bought the benefit of the doubt from Flyers fans. 
You know, find Flyers fans who are disagreeing with how Daniel Breer has handled this team so far. You can't. And part of it, too, is he's been transparent about all of it. And my favorite part is they used an Elliot Friedman clip as part of their commercials from the beginning of the season. Thanks to Sean Couturier for stopping by. Scott Lachlan as well. Jesse Granger, Elliot Friedman. Other side of the glass, David Sislands, Kennedy General. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Have a wonderful weekend. Don't forget Hockey Night in Canada, Colorado, Toronto, Boston, Vancouver, Vegas, Ottawa, and the Battle of Alberta. 6.30 Eastern on Saturday, Hockey Central with Ron McClain kicks it all off. We're back Monday.